And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Hi, my name's Alfred D'Elia. At home, they call me Big Al, and I hit dingers. Two men, one Vikings fan, one Bills fan, coming together during a pandemic to deliver you guys like sports. I'm Curtis Henry. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Rose. How are you feeling tonight, Michael? I'm feeling pretty darn good. You're feeling pretty darn good? What's, uh, what's got you most excited about episode one? The NFL draft, for sure, because it's the only real sports that we have at this particular point, and uh, I'm a big draft guy, so Don't- pretty stoked about it. Don't tell that to the Taiwanese Baseball League. But, yeah, NFL Draft coming up Thursday the 23rd. Definitely going to be a bulk of our show this evening that we're recording for you guys. We're super excited to be here. We're super excited to be bringing you this new content uh, amidst a time that is nothing less than uncertain. Any, Any words before we get started, Michael? Let's get into it. Let's do this thing. So we're gonna we're going to jump right in here, topic one. Uh, each week, we're going to try to bring you the biggest ongoing news in sports. Obviously, with the current pandemic, things are a little bit watered down. But today, we got some interesting news in the NBA, some old news that's making new news in the form of Chris Paul. What can you tell me about that, Michael? So, yes, there's a report that emerged today uh, regarding a trade, a potential trade that almost happened back in 2011 involving Chris Paul. To the Golden State Warriors, now, uh, if you're an NBA fan, you know that Chris Paul, once a member of the New Orleans Pelicans, was uh, looking to get out of New Orleans at that time, and he ended up uh, going to the Los Angeles Clippers, obviously, but he almost ended up a Warrior, and the deal that was in place was Steph Curry and Klay Thompson for Chris Paul. And uh, if anyone knows anything about the Golden State Warriors in recent years, they eventually became uh, maybe the greatest dynasty in the history of the NBA, you could argue. And uh, that was in large part due to Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. So uh, a big time what if that never came to fruition involving a Chris Paul deal to the Warriors. And it's definitely not the only Chris Paul trade to ever really (laughs) fall, uh, fall through the cracks. I'm looking at you, David Stern, the man who, Rejected CP3 to the Lakers in lieu of uh, allowing Kevin Durant to sign with the 73-win Warriors and the consistency that the NBA brings on a transaction-to-transaction basis. Worth noting, David Stern at that time was technically the owner of the New Orleans franchise, so it was basically like an owner not signing off on a trade. The problem is he was also the commissioner, so there was a lot of issues with that whole situation and since then I cannot recall a time where a major sports franchise was owned by the league so I think probably for good reason correct and I think this CP3 news I think it's the most interesting to me because this is a guy who Chris Paul is an enigma but this guy in the last decade has been so wildly successful but he's never reached the pinnacle of the NBA and this deal would have sent us on a completely different track that would have affected Chris Paul himself, obviously. But this is a guy who, in 2018, had a chance to dethrone the Warriors in the playoffs 
prior to getting hurt in game five when Houston eventually went up 3-2 in the Western Conference Finals and subsequently lost that series to the Golden State Warriors. So this whole this whole uh, breaking but not breaking news about Chris Paul is absolutely fascinating to me. And, of course, you know, uh, for those of you first-time viewers here who don't know me well, I'm a Houston Rockets fan, so that was a little, little salt in the wound by my great co-host and friend here. Minor, and we're over the course of this uh, this podcast journey. We are only only going to further salt said wounds regarding the Houston Rockets, the Minnesota Vikings, the Buffalo Bills, um, the franchises that we are diehard fans of, but <laughs> have not achieved much success in their respective sports. But I think now is a uh, is time to move on to another bit of news. Interesting coming out this week the wwe in the state of florida has been made an essential business what do you got for me michael this this ruling is going to allow the wwe to continue performing in their in their studios without fans correct Yes, so uh, for those who don't know, WWE, uh, the Performance Center is what they call it, where they record uh, their NXT shows as well as, you know, their training is where they do those down there, uh, is based in Orlando, Florida, I believe. So uh, they've been ruled a, a central business down there, and that'll allow them to go back to doing live shows as long as fans are not in attendance. And I mean, for, for the time being, that's just going to have to work for WWE. Normally, they're traveling across the, the world, really. Uh, taping and recording these shows so uh, it's going to be interesting to see back with the live shows uh, they've been recording in the meantime Wrestlemania this past year was a pre-recorded event live from down there so uh, it'll be interesting to see how they proceed but WWE right now also is uh, hit hard financially a little bit so uh, often after Wrestlemania it's known as as Bloody Wednesday in the WWE and that is when lots of uh, cuts usually come through of guys being released from their contracts as they move in a different direction because like a sports year Curtis you know like the NFL season you know we start in September we end in February we go into the off season the WWE doesn't really have an off season but after Wrestlemania is kind of like the the day off season that they have it's like okay we reset what do we have moving forward so they they lost a lot of, of big time names really as surprising moves that they made and you know a lot of it just due to the money that they lost from not having WrestleMania this year and a lot of it due to Vince McMahon being incredibly cheap, even though he's very wealthy. Yeah, Vince McMahon, I think he's an interesting case study. And more political news on Vince McMahon is that he was made an advisor by Donald Trump regarding the pandemic and moving forward, but we're not going to dive into that too much. But uh, Vince McMahon here, this is a guy who is currently hurting the XFL folded, filed for bankruptcy within the last 10 days. He is a guy incredibly wealthy, but this pandemic is really, really hurting his investments. So it's just an interesting time to see how Vince McMahon comes up with some creative solutions moving forward. Personally, I think this is an all-time finesse job by Vince McMahon because there is absolutely no scenario in which the WWE is an essential business. You cannot... You cannot get me to buy into this idea for a billion dollars. I'm I, you probably could. I'm pretty broke, but for a billion dollars, I am not believing wholeheartedly that the WWE, under any circumstance, is an essential business. Yeah, there's no shot they're an essential business. But honestly, I feel like you can make the case for a lot of businesses that have been ruled essential in a couple of different states throughout our country. So, uh, essential has been used quite 
loosely and liberally during these times. Correct. And uh, as a guy who reaps the benefit of liquor stores still being open nationwide as essential businesses, we salute Vince McMahon for the, uh, what really is the ultimate hustle in his attempts to continue uh, the WWE as a marketable and profitable business venture during these trying times. I think that's enough talk on the WWE. Just a final note worth noting. uh, WWE was slated to turn a profit this year, even with the lost revenue from losing these live shows and losing WrestleMania revenue. They were still going to turn a profit. So really, they they cut a lot of guys and they're using coronavirus as a big time excuse to just get rid of guys that they just didn't feel like paying anymore, quite frankly. Incredible. Um, In these trying times, life finds a way through (laughs) the body that is the WWE. Let's move on. You want to talk some football, Michael? Always want to talk football. Big football guys, Michael Rose and Curtis Henry. There is a guy, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the name, Thomas Brady. Uh, kind of a big deal in the football and NFL communities. Uh, big guy, big big legacy. I've heard and it once or twice. I think he's sporting a new uniform. He's, he's moving to Florida with his gorgeous wife, Giselle. They are taking on new endeavors in Tampa Bay, and Tom Brady is a buccaneer working with Coach Bruce Arians. What are your thoughts on this, Michael? Well, first, I just want to point out, it's like a new New Jersey, because after he signed, they debuted their new jerseys. So he really got through two jerseys already in Tampa Bay. Can, can, I, can I butt in with, a, with an anecdote on the jerseys? I don't think there is a person in America more angry about the Buccaneers jerseys than myself, because two weeks prior to Tom Brady signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I ordered a Chris Godwin number 12 Buccaneers jersey, and that is now obsolete because Chris Godwin is not wearing the number 12, and the Bucks jerseys are completely different. So your boy is out 99.99. Got a great throwback um, uniform, though. Shout out the NFL shop. Shout out Chris Godwin. But salt in the wound just a little bit. But let's jump back on the Brady train. So, yeah, Tom Brady, I mean, this Buccaneers offense, quite frankly, is loaded. They allowed Jameis Winston to lead the league in passing yards last year, even while turning the ball over at least once every time he touched the ball. So, that's pretty remarkable if you think about it. Accurate stat. Accurate stat. Jameis Winston averaged 1.1 turnovers per touch last season. Yes. So, Tom Brady, I mean, you got Mike Evans. You got Chris Godwin. You got O.J. Howard, who, for whatever reason, Tampa Bay forgot they had last year. You got Ronald Jones, who, if anyone who knows me, big Ronald Jones guy. I think he's super talented. So I think you can make the case this might be Brady's best supporting cast he's ever had in his career, which it's unfortunate that took till he was 42 years old to get that. However, better late than never, I think he, he's due for quite a season. I mean, this uh, that that's a little bit of a spicy take. I think that Randy Moss might have uh, some words for you, that guy catching 22, 23 touchdowns. But uh, – I don't disagree. I think this is an uber-talented Buccaneers group. I think that we're talking about overall outlook. I think that this is a huge upgrade for Ronald Jones and O.J. Howard. Um, for whatever reason, I watched a lot of Bucks games last year, which means I saw a lot of turnovers. Jameis Winston turned the ball over at an alarming clip early on in games, which meant that, A, the Bucks were abandoning the run game early, and for whatever reason, B – when they did run the ball, they gave the ball a lot to Peyton Barber. So 
the Bucks are an interesting team to me. Bar- Barber is no longer there. Jameis Winston is no longer there. I think Ronald Jones, for you uh, fantasy footballers out there, I think he's in place, could have a massive 2020 campaign. I think that moving forward, this is going to be a new-look offense with Bruce Arians, who, uh, if, you, if you need a reminder, Carson Palmer, late in his 30s, had a lot of career years under Bruce Arians in Arizona. So I think this is a match made in heaven. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think you you pretty much summed it all up. Uh, and, you know, going talking about Bruce Arians, Bruce Arians worked with a lot of really high-quality veteran quarterbacks. Lot, and I can't remember many seasons where Bruce Arians took a guy out there as his quarterback and the guy was, you know, really bad. You know what I mean? I mean, even James Winston this past year, he made a ton of mental errors, but he still put up big numbers. You put up numbers in Bruce Arians' offenses as a quarterback. That's just kind of the way it works instant take prior to the NFL draft with TB12 in uniform are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a Super Bowl contender in 2020 contender yes are they a favorite no because they play in the same division as New Orleans Saints who in my opinion have the best roster in football couldn't agree more but we're gonna we're gonna save that that discussion for another day no you know apologies respect due to Tom Brady to Ted Teddy Bridgewater who also signed the deal with Carolina this offseason but in my opinion the biggest quarterback move in this NFL offseason was Super Bowl champion Nick Foles heading to Chicago let's talk about Nick Foles and what he means for the Chicago Bears offense and Mitch Trubisky moving forward in the 2020 season I mean, first and foremost, Mitchell Trubisky is about as finished as any top two NFL draft pick quarterback that is – I mean, he's more finished than Marcus Mariota at this point, I think, because I don't even know if I'd want Mitch Trubisky to be my backup. Uh, Trubisky last year, he completed 60% of his passes. He had 3,100 yards, 17 touchdowns to 10 picks. Uh, A great – you know, my favorite Mitch Trubisky factoid for for all of our listeners out there – Mitch Trubisky, when he was at North Carolina, he was a backup for three years. And the gentleman he was a backup to, that his name was Marquise Williams. And if you're wondering why you've never heard the name Marquise Williams, because he, he never had uh, any real NFL success to speak of. But if you've watched the XFL this past year, you saw Marquise Williams as a backup in the XFL. That is the guy Mitchell Trubisky could not beat out in college you're wondering how much of a disaster of a pick this was so I mean I think Trubisky's done I think Foles to me I mean Foles it's his fifth team since he had that 27 touchdown to like two interception season I believe it was uh, in Philadelphia Uh, he's been on the Rams the Chiefs Philly again Jacksonville last year which was a disaster and now with the Bears Uh, and for me I mean Foles is like most backup quarterbacks He, he can be good in spurts but I would never trust that guy to be my starter. But I think I trust him more than I trust Mitchell Trubisky. So that's kind of the situation the Bears are in at this point. So Nick Foles, I mean, he's very much of the same mold as a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he is a guy who four, five, six, seven games in a row can put together some incredible performances, but we haven't really seen sustained success. And I think his career arc is one of the more interesting in the National Football League in 2020 um, because this is a guy who, under Chip Kelly, and shout out the, uh, the elite offenses of Chip Kelly in Philadelphia, this is a guy who took over. I believe it was for Mike Vick. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You can fact check me if I'm wrong. 
I believe he took over after Mike Vick got hurt in around 2013. And he went on an absolute tear. This is a guy who threw seven touchdown passes in a game against the Raiders. He's a guy who had 27 touchdowns to two interceptions. He was a legitimate person in the MVP candidate discussion at that time. Um, And then he completely fell off the map after he got out of his first stint in Philly. I mean, he struggled to find a starting job. So, uh, like you said, a lot of people have the opinion of him that I don't trust him as a starter in the NFL. But he goes back to Philly, new regime, and the guy wins the Super Bowl. He, he beats Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, the guy that we just talked about moving to Tampa Bay. So this guy, Nick Foles, I don't know how to label his career, his level of success, or his actually like his ability to play the game of football. And I think that what's interesting to me is you watch this guy. He's the worst parts of Jay Cutler slinging it down the field in a triple coverage. And he's the best part of Carson Wentz buying time and making big plays in crunch time, as we saw in his Super Bowl run. And as we saw in Chicago uh, the year after in the playoffs, when he beat a Mitchell Trubisky led team in the playoff round. I think that was the wild card round in Chicago at Soldier Field. So, Nick Foles, I don't know what this guy is other than a Napoleon Dynamite lookalike. Yeah, and uh, Nick Foles is is really, I mean, when you talk about a strange career, Nick Foles currently, at this at this exact moment while we sit here, has, has four NFL records that I, I can confirm, and I'm trying to confirm the fifth one while we're uh, – talking about it here, but Nick Foles, he has the record for most touchdown passes in a single game. He has the record for the highest passer rating in a single playoff. He has the record for a highest completion percentage in a playoffs. He has the record for the highest completion percentage in a single playoff game. Meanwhile, he almost retired three years ago because he was so depressed and just thought his career was over. And he also has a stint where he completed 25 consecutive completions in a game. So, like you said, the guy at times is, you know, pinpoint accurate and, uh, you know, a well above average quarterback. And at times uh, you watch him play and you're like, maybe he should have taken up the retirement. That might have been a good idea. So uh, he's, he's a complete enigma. He's a complete wild card. And it's really tough to kind of gauge what Nick Foles will do in Chicago. But I think we're both in agreement that it will be Nick Foles in Chicago and not Mitchell Trubisky. I... I mean, I know we can't make a board bet on this a la the Fantasy Focus podcast, but I would bet a very large sum that Nick Foles is the guy in Chicago when the season rolls around and not Mitchell Trubisky because I don't know what the upside is with Trubisky. I don't think he has shown much over the course of the last two seasons since the Bears went 12-4 and with that elite defense. Um, moving on from Nick Foles in the spirit of elite quarterbacks, we're going to talk about Patrick Mahomes. And before I really get into this, Mike, just, just tell our, uh, our listeners a little bit about Patrick Mahomes and your feelings about this guy. So Patrick Mahomes is a, a, a young man two years ago who on my, my GCC radio show that I was doing at the time, I went on my show and I proclaimed Patrick Mahomes 
would not only win the NFL MVP in his first year as a starter, but he would throw 50 touchdown passes. I actually proclaimed he would break Peyton Manning's touchdown record. We didn't quite get there. But he proceeded to throw 50 touchdown passes and win the NFL MVP. And I got to tell you, that's about my most accurate prediction I'm ever going to make in my life. I don't think I will ever top that kind of a prediction because it was so outlandish at the time for it to come true. It was remarkable. Uh, But Patrick Mahomes probably should be a two-time Super Bowl champion already if D4 just knew, you know, if we just had the the blue line of scrimmage line on the field for D4, we'd be talking about two-time Super Bowl champion Patrick Mahomes, uh, in my opinion. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, at this point in his career, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, just insane stat that I didn't actually find anywhere. I just was bored the other day and looked up this information. Let's uh let's save that stat. I know exactly what you're referring to. I think it's really good. I think we can save it for our upcoming debate. I just want to add on, and I know you're excited about it. Uh, I just want to add on. Patrick Mahomes, you watch the way this guy plays. I think that when it comes to the NFL game, he's somebody who reminds me of Steph Curry. I think he's revolutionizing the quarterback position. I think he's throwing sidearm passes, no-look passes. He's coming up with creative ways to throw the ball. He's throwing it with his offhand on certain downs. He's absolutely incredible. I think that your affinity for Patrick Mahomes is not unwarranted in the slightest. And we're going to save that stat for this debate, which is if Patrick Mahomes retired tomorrow, tomorrow is April 18th, 2020. Is he a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? And the answer, I think, is a resounding yes, and I'm going to tell you why with this stat. Patrick Mahomes is one of three quarterbacks in NFL history to have a Super Bowl championship, a Super Bowl MVP, a regular season MVP, a 50-touchdown season, and a 5,000-yard passing season. The other two quarterbacks that joined Mahomes on that list would be Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And it's also worth noting, if you take out the 5,000-yard stipulation, it is still Peyton Manning. Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, so the guy has accomplished more in two years than many guys accomplish in their lifetimes. I think Patrick Mahomes uh, first two years in the league is without a doubt, the best first two years of any quarterback in NFL history. And uh, I think at this point, it'd be hard pressed not to put him in the hall of fame just off what he's accomplished thus far. There's, there's no room for disagreement. Uh, This guy I think a great criteria for the Hall of Fame, and there's not one cookie-cutter criteria for a guy to get in. There's not a certain amount of touchdowns you have to throw, a certain amount of Pro Bowls you have to make. Uh, the Pro Bowl is kind of garbage anyway in 2020. That's a whole count the Pro Bowl. <laughs> that's a whole other discussion for another day. I think that a great criteria for the Hall of Fame, and it is the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Statistics. It is the Hall of Fame is can you tell the story of the National Football League without this person? The answer right now with Patrick Mahomes, it's a no. Um, You think about the last three years in the National Football League, you cannot shape that story without Patrick Mahomes. There is no way about it. The guy, as you argued, he should have two. uh, He would have a shot at two Super Bowl rings if it weren't for D. Ford jumping off sides. That one play got D Ford sent to San Francisco for a second rounder. Like you think about how good a player D Ford is that guy got shipped off the roster because of how critical that mistake was. Andy Reid said, we can't have it again. So Patrick Mahomes, he is somebody who I think is a resounding hall of famer, even if he retired today or tomorrow. Um, 
he he's absurd with what he has accomplished through his first two years starting in the National Football League. And uh, I'm willing to die on that hill, as I think you are as well. I'll die on any hill for Patrick Mahomes. Love Patty Mahomes. Good player. We're moving on. Real quick, actually. I think the Hall of Fame debate that has been had the most this offseason is whether or not Eli Manning in his retirement is a Hall of Famer. Not answering that question, who has the better Hall of Fame case today? Is it Patty Mahomes or is it Eli Manning? Uh, For me, I think it's still Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes' first year as a starter, his second year in the league, uh, technically speaking, is without a doubt better than any season Eli Manning has ever dreamt up uh, in his NFL career. And he's accomplished uh, a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP. Eli, obviously, uh, with two of those uh, that he has in the mantle at home. But uh, I think Mahomes' statistical output just to this point – you know, in two years, uh, in, in about two more years, he might pass Eli Manning in yardage and touchdowns at the current rate he, you know, he's accelerating at. So I really don't think there's a, a much of a case to say Eli Manning's resume stacks up better than Patrick Mahomes. And we're talking about 16 or so years that Eli's been in the league to two. Uh, being the voice of reason here, I have to disagree with you uh, about the pace at which Patrick Mahomes will exceed Eli Manning's passing yards and touchdowns numbers for his entire career. Um, but I do think Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. I do think right now his resume, despite the stat that you listed about comparing Mahomes to Brady and Peyton Manning, Eli's older brother, I think that Eli Manning, his resume to me, little bit more impressive uh Tom Brady just a a stat that I like this is this is going to be the most interesting group of names you've ever heard uh Michael Rose can you tell me what the following names have in common Eli Manning Peyton Manning Jake Plummer Joe Flacco Mark Sanchez Nick Foles and Ryan Tannehill uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that they have all beaten Tom Brady in a playoff game. And I would never know that Jake Palmer was on this list until right now. But um, So, spoiler alert, we didn't discuss this at all pre- prior to recording, but Mike Rose has hit the nail on the head. Those are the entire list of quarterbacks that have defeated Tom Brady in an NFL playoff game. First of all, it's absurd that this guy has been doing this so long, only lost 11 games in the playoffs. Uh, second of all, Eli Manning is one of three guys to ever knock off Brady in the postseason twice. That entire list is Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Joe Flacco, who is also elite. Um, I think that Eli Manning, two Super Bowl, uh, trophies. And the, the thing that escalates Eli Manning for me over Patrick Mahomes is not the aggregate number of Super Bowl trophies and MVPs. It is the fact that Eli Manning took a 9-7 and team to the Super Bowl and knocked off the 18-0 New England Patriots. That is arguably the 18-0 20, was it 2007? 2007, that is correct. 2007. The 18-0 Patriots of 2007, arguably the greatest football team of all time. And Eli Manning said, hold my beer, and he chucked it up. I think that was the David Tyree uh, gum to the helmet, miraculous catch. And I think that Eli Manning 
A, belongs in the Hall of Fame based on that game alone, and B, I believe that uh, I believe that that still bolsters his case over Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that's uh, fair enough in terms of, you know, obviously beating that, that all-time great New England Patriots team. I think when you just uh, look at it at the end of the day, though, this guy, Patrick Mahomes, you know, Eli Manning never won a regular season MVP. Eli Manning never won an Offensive Player of the Year. Patrick Mahomes won both of those. Uh, Eli Manning never made an all-pro team. Patrick Holmes obviously has done that already as well. Uh, so when you when you look at it from that perspective, uh, it, it, it's tough for me to not put Patrick Holmes above Eli Manning in terms of resume, especially, you know, obviously Eli, those two runs to the Super Bowl are tremendous. Absolutely. The problem is every other year of his NFL career was subpar to average pretty much across the board. It, and I can't disagree. I just think it's an aggregate – accomplishment kind of uh, resume building thing. And I think that Patrick Mahomes within the next, if there's a full NFL season in 2020, within the next 365 days, Patrick Mahomes will probably have done enough to leapfrog him ahead of Eli Manning in the all time hall of fame rankings that I am making up on the spot. Just give me what what's the date of the Super Bowl scheduled date of Super Bowl 2021. That's the only date you'll have to you only need to determine whether or not Mahomes has passed uh, Eli Manning and Hall of Fame ranks for for next year. So early February 2021, Mike Rose is putting it on the board. Fascinating stuff. How good Patrick Mahomes has been to this point in his career. So moving right along, we have uh, we have some important discussions to be had regarding some big names still unsigned in the National Football League. And and really, this might be a National Football League heavy uh, first episode for us, but there's nothing going on. Like the NFL offseason is reigning supreme right now in the world of sports in America. So uh, just just a disclaimer there, we are uh, open to all sports, but today's episode is going to be a little bit NFL heavy moving forward. We have to talk about these unsigned quarterbacks, Michael. There's two in particular, I think my two names that come to mind are the same as your two names that come to mind who are unsigned and need jobs. So let's talk about it. Are we both thinking of Landry Jones and Chad Henney? Yes. And the fact that Landry Jones, after his elite run in the XFL, is unsigned is criminal. As much as those are the two guys that were at the forefront, I think some secondary names that come to mind are Jameis Winston and Cam Newton. So, landing spots, where do you think these guys are going, Mike? Let's start with Jameis Winston, because I actually have a pretty good landing spot for Jameis Winston. I think a really great fit for Jameis. Now, let me just know, I don't think either of these guys will find a full-time week one starting position this season. Uh, so I disagree. For Jameis, disagree. Good to know. For Jameis, uh, I think it's it's probably a, a full-time backup job unless someone gets hurt from him this year. Uh, I think a great fit for Jameis Winston would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm going to tell you why. When you watch Jameis Winston and Ben Roethlisberger, they're both kind of bigger guys, big arm, like to take shots downfield. Ben had some problems with interceptions early in his career. Jameis obviously still has some problems with his interceptions, 30 for 30. So I think uh, Ben can teach Jameis a lot. I think Ben's definitely on the, I don't even want to call it the back nine. He's, he's on like the final three on his NFL career at this point. So uh, it's going to be going to be a little tricky for uh, him to have prolonged 
success, I think, at this point, especially with the arm injury last year. So I think Winston, not only could he step in, you know, for a year, be a really good backup, I think he could also potentially be the heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. For Cam Newton, I'm just going to be honest, I have no clue in the world where this guy is going to sign. Um, I mean, he, he can't sign until team doctors are able to get physicals and I don't even I couldn't give you a good timeline on when that's going to take place. So at this point, Cam Newton, uh, you know, in my notes, you know, basically it's a it's a shrugging emoji. That's what I got on Cam Newton at this point. Like I just I have no idea. I will say Curtis is going to give two teams his suggestions. I only know this because he talks about it all the time. He's going to say the Chargers. He's going to say the Patriots. Neither one of them are going to sign Cam Newton. I'll just have that on the record for now. But other than that, I have no idea. So counter argument. Uh, first of all, on Jameis Winston, I had been mulling over the situation with Jameis for weeks. Um, I think that an interesting spot. So this this is an interesting thought, right? Nick Wright had an interesting take. Full full props to Nick Wright. Nick Wright had an interesting take. Matt Pat- Matt Patricia is fully on the hot seat in Detroit right now after he's underperformed his first two years on that job. There is a scenario where Matt Patricia trades away the number three pick to the New England Patriots. So the New England Patriots can draft Tua at number three. And in doing so, Matt Patricia buys himself some job insurance because when he inevitably is fired from the Detroit Lions, he can go, hey, Bill, you remember when I when I hooked you up with uh, Tua Tagovailoa there, that guy who's starting for us? Yeah, you should uh, – Hook me up with that defensive coordinator job. And we have seen Belichick go back to Josh McDaniels numerous times. He has his guys. So Matt Patricia could trade away that number three pick. And I think that if he does that, I think Jameis could sign in Detroit as a backup because I think Matt Stafford is somebody we don't talk about whose future might be interesting coming up ahead of us. And I think you want to chime in right here. Yeah, I pretty much disagree with everything you just said. Um, One, I don't think Matt Patricia's on the hot seat because he didn't have Matt Stafford for, I want to say, over half of last season. And it's very difficult to win NFL games with David Blau and Jeff Driscoll as your uh, quarterback. Two, what in the world would the New England Patriots possibly give the Detroit Lions in exchange for the number three overall pick? Um, Nick Wright, I believe his exact trade proposal was their first-round pick, which I think is pick 23 overall their third round pick because they don't have a second and Julian Edelman for pick three, which would not be enough, but that might be enough for Matt Patricia. If he feels he's on the way out as a serendipity to the franchise that has given him his NFL career. There's absolutely no way that trade's happening. I don't think so either. I just think that that's a scenario. And that was the only situation. That was the only landing spot. I would also yeah, I find that if New England called the Detroit Lions and made that trade offer, they're hanging up the phone and calling the Miami Dolphins and getting all three of Miami's ones to, for Miami to move up and take Tua Tagovailoa. Potentially. I mean, that's also on the board because we know Miami is in need of a quarterback. But that's just an interesting take that I heard from Nick Wright. Uh, so Jameis Winston, I don't know where this guy is going. I'm not going to pretend to know where this guy is going. Because right now there is so much uncertainty and the NFL draft is a mere six six days away now. uh, Six days away until we get to NFL draft night on the 23rd from this recording. And obviously there's going to be a large amount of change prior to that. I think 
while Jameis is up in the air, I love your landing spot there with Pittsburgh. Cannot agree more about that being an ideal fit. Cam Newton. So when that Detroit trade doesn't go through, I think <laughs> I think that New England, and spoiler alert, Mike was right. New England, I think, is the best fit for Cam Newton. I think that, first of all, Bill Belichick has done a better job than I can even describe as far as disguising what that franchise's plans are at the quarterback position. Um, because obviously they're not going with Jarrett Stidham and they're in very, very precarious position about it. it, it and Mike's going to talk to me about Trevor Lawrence. Um, but we'll get to that in a moment. So they're in a very, very precarious position uh, regarding the 2020 season because they could just launch the tank and chase a guy like Trevor Lawrence in the 2021 draft. But I think that Bill Belichick and Cam Newton make very logical partners from the perspective that Bill Belichick has a history of taking on guys that are high risk, whether it's injury risks or character concerns. Obviously the two character concerns that come to mind are Randy Moss and Josh Gordon Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown as well. More recently, I think that I think that Belichick Aaron is Hernandez. Okay. Aaron Hernandez. We're not going to dig that deep though, because that care that's a whole different discussion. So from the Belichick camp, I think he has that history of taking low risks on guys with character concerns that could pay off in a grand way, right? And I think that Cam Newton fits the bill. There is not. I don't know if there's any player in the National Football League that has gotten the shaft harder from coronavirus than Cam Newton because the guy is uber talented. I think he still has something left in the tank. He was an MVP in 2015. He's been to a Super Bowl. He knows how to play the quarterback position. I think that Cam Newton can come in and absolutely be an NFL starter and win you a lot of games. I think that New England's a good fit based on that and Belichick's ability to maximize the talent that's at his disposal. I think that's my, my landing spot for Cam Newton. And now Mike is going to tell me why it's not going to happen because of a guy named Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I don't even have to say because of a guy like Trevor Lawrence. There's 0% chance that Cam Newton's going to the Patriots, and I'll tell you why. There's, there's two scenarios that are going to happen here for the Patriots. They're either going to draft a quarterback this year that Bill Belichick really likes. If there's a guy he really likes, maybe it's Jordan Love. Maybe it's Justin Herbert. Maybe it's Jake Fromm. I don't know what Bill Belichick's uh, rocking with, but – uh, they're going to draft the guy. They're going to roll Brian Hoyer out there as a starting quarterback this year. They're going to lose a lot while developing that guy. They're going to add a really high-quality player in next year's draft, cough, cough, Jamar Chase potentially, and they're going to go and be a great football team next year with that quarterback they developed. Or they're just going to blow the whole thing up, and they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, who, spoiler alert, I think both Lawrence and Fields are better than all four quarterbacks in this year's draft. So – and we can absolutely agree on the 2021 quarterback class being uh, potentially much better than the 2020 class, but that's not where we're at today, uh, April 17th, 2020. Now, uh, let me ask you, if not New England, where for Cam? Because I think that he is a guy who currently can't get a job because he can't get a physical. All right, he's had the foot injuries. We don't know where this guy is physically. He's posted the videos on Instagram. He's posted the videos on Twitter. He looks good. He looks motivated. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Uh, I think the talent is still there. He definitely struggled uh, in the couple of games he played this year for Carolina. 
uh, some will say because of injury to the shoulder, to the foot. Where does he fit in the National Football League as a starter? Is is Jacksonville a spot? Is is LA a spot? Where, where do you think he could end I'll up? I'll give you two teams that I think are more realistic than the two teams that I've heard tossed the most. Because the two teams linked to Cam Newton the most thus far have been the Patriots and the Chargers. Because right now they have the most obvious quarterback needs. But sometimes it's not the most obvious situation. I think Correct. we're a couple months away from Cam Newton really being signed anywhere at this point. So I'll give you a couple of teams I think are real possibilities. The Jacksonville Jaguars, you just mentioned them. Uh, they have Gardner Minshew. If Gardner Minshew... God forbid if he blows out a knee in OTAs, are the Jaguars just gonna roll out? I, I don't. I couldn't tell you who the Jaguars back. Somebody like game. David Blau, you know, like right. that caliber player. You already can't sell tickets in Jacksonville. I mean, the good news is they might have to worry about that next year. We might not even be selling tickets. But you know, how are you going to get people interested in your team? Minshew gets hurt. You got to get somebody. Cam Newton could fit in there. Even with Minshew there, still think Cam Newton could fit in there. Uh, I think Cam Newton's far better than Gardner Minshew. And my second one would be the Washington Redskins, potentially. I know a lot of people have said, well, Ron Rivera traded for Kyle Allen, so he chose Allen over Cam Newton. But I think, in a sense, he chose Kyle Allen's contract over Cam Newton. And I think if Ron Rivera had the assurance that, A, Cam Newton was healthy, and, B, he could get Cam Newton on a reasonable contract that's not the you know $25 million plus deal that he had in Carolina, I think Ron Rivera would say, sign me up for that one and would absolutely consider bringing him into Washington. I'm a guy who, who likes Dwayne Haskins. I think Haskins has a lot of upside to be a, a very, very good NFL quarterback, but I don't think he has a MVP upside like Cam Newton. And uh, in a year where we have a lot of uncertainty with the coronavirus situation, uh, you like to have guys that you know. And I think Cam Newton going somewhere where he knows pretty much the entire coaching staff, because Ron Rivera took the whole staff with him to Carolina, uh, I think that would be a huge benefit then. I think I, I agree. I think those are good landing potential landing spots for Cam Newton. Rapid fire question for you: What is Cam's potential in twenty twenty? Is he does he still have top ten quarterback upside in the NFL? I think just due to how great quarterback play is at this current moment in the NFL, I don't think I don't think a fully healthy Cam Newton is a top ten quarterback anymore. I think he can be a top fifteen quarterback. Uh, I think he can be a quarterback on a playoff team, uh, but I don't view him as a top 10 guy anymore, even if he's fully healthy. Is he someone who can carry a contender through the playoffs uh, in the right situation? I think almost any quarterback that is starting caliber can carry a contender through the playoffs in the right situation, personally. That is fair enough. Cam Newton, 2020, very up in the air. We're going to undoubtedly... Well, I can't even say undoubtedly. Hopefully we can get a clearer picture through the NFL draft process of where Cam Newton may end up for the 2020 season. And by the way, my case study on that would be Jared Goff was in the Super Bowl two years ago. Correct. Um, And Blake Bortles was incredibly close to a Super Bowl, I believe, in 2017. And Nick Foles was a Super Bowl MVP. And Case Keenum was the other quarterback that was among that final four that year so so yeah interesting times in the nfl i think that uh super bowl windows are shrinking and parity from year to year is increasing as more and more teams kind of latch on to the identity of we have a four to five year window with a quarterback on a rookie contract moving forward unless I, you have that guy unless you have that guy 
Who who is it, Mike? Tell tell that our would be, that would be Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, uh, <laughs> sensational. Uh, moving forward, I alluded it to it a little bit just now. The NFL draft is happening this week, and that is the biggest thing happening in sports right now. It's the only uh, thing happening in sports right now. <laughs> correct. Uh, I'm sure the Taiwan baseball. Unless you're the happened. Taiwan baseball league, I was just going to men- mention that that they've gotten started again recently. But the NFL draft coming up this week. Prospect spotlight, Mike Rose. Who are we most excited about in this year's NFL draft? Give me two names. So I'm going to give two names that uh, are kind of uh, a little deeper down the board because, you know, if you've been following the NFL draft, you've heard about Jerry Judy. You've heard about Joe Burrow and all the, all the quarterbacks and all that hoopla. And we're going to get to those guys eventually. But I'm going to start you off with a, a young man by the name of Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. Uh, six foot one, 206 pounds. He's a really only uh, two seasons of statistics that he has. Uh, as a junior, he did next to nothing. Uh, as a senior this past year, he had 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. Uh, I think a big part of that junior year production is Nikhil Harry, who was a first-round pick by the New England Patriots last year, was kind of standing in the way. Arizona State's not a real gaudy team. But uh, Ayuk is everything you, you really want in a, a modern-day NFL receiver. You know, he's fast. He's not so slow that he's, he can't make a play. But he's not, you know, burner. He's not Tyreek Hill. He has good speed. Uh, he creates separation really well. He can go up and win a 50-50 ball. And for a college kid, he runs – pretty solid routes then you know in college game a lot you don't see a very complex route tree but I think Brandon Ayuk is a little more developed of a route runner uh than you would typically see coming out of college and I think that has a lot to do with Arizona State having so many NFL players and coaches on their staff so I think that's a a big boost for Brandon Ayuk he's going to be probably a guy who goes in the mid-20s I'm really hoping he goes to my Minnesota Vikings I'll be completely honest and another guy I'll give you who Looks like maybe a day two pick, but I think uh, when we look back at it, people will regret that he was not a first-round pick, and that's a young man by the name of Curtis Weaver. I'm sure Curtis loves that first name. Uh, Curtis Weaver is a pass rusher out of, out of Boise State. His his three-year sack production, let me just give that to you, 11 sacks, 9.5 sacks, 13.5 sacks. He had 47.5 tackles for loss in his three years at Boise State. He dominated – uh, that non-power five level, like very few defensive players that I can recall in recent memory coming into the NFL draft. And he's kind of flying under the radar in what is an interesting year for pass rushers in the draft because I think a lot of guys are being overvalued at that position as potential first-round picks that I don't know if they quite are first-round picks. Weaver is going to be a guy who falls into the second round, and he's going to be better than, you know, maybe a Clavion Jason who – was on a great LSU defense and is being uh, boosted up draft boards, maybe a little higher than his production indicates he should. So keep an eye on Weaver. All he did is produce. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, we can talk about potential as a, a big buzzword for the NFL draft, but production's all that matters once uh, it comes to Sundays. And that's all that Weaver did. We absolutely, you just gave me two guys who are, who are production monsters. Can you give me two names of current NFL players who you think that, those guys profile similarly too. Oh, put me on the spot. On here, the spot, you? Mike absolutely Rose. on the spot. On the uh, spot, Mike Rose. Brandon no I, Brandon Ayuk. Uh, let me think about this one. Brandon Ayuk reminds me of a little bit faster of a Kenny Galladay. I want to say. Obviously, he's not quite as big as Galladay. Galladay being six four, Ayuk being six one. But I think they're uh, both really good after the catch. They both can win those fifty fifty balls. 
but he, he's probably a little bit probably a little bit of a, a faster Kenny Galladay. And for Weaver, Weaver reminds me a lot of a of another guy who is wildly underappreciated in the NFL, and that is Chandler Jones, who all Chandler Jones does week in and week out is get sacks. He knows how to get to the quarterback, and he's very rarely talked about among the elite pasture rushers in the league. Uh, in case you didn't know, sitting at home, Chandler Jones this past season had 19 sacks. 19. Absolutely so, absurd. I mean, the guy, is, the guy is unbelievable. All he does is produce Curtis Weaver. All he does produce, I think that's a, a really good comparison there. Curtis Weaver cannot argue with that name choice at all coming out of the Mountain West. Look for him uh, late on day one or I think at the worst, very, very early on day two. My name's a little bit more. One more question for you. Brandon Ayuk, I have him as wide receiver five on my board. Where do you have him slotted right now? Um, Believe it or not, he's my wide receiver three. Wide receiver three, and that's behind Lamb and Judy? That is correct. I still I'm, – I'm high on him. I'm not quite as high as you are. I have him slated at wide receiver five. I would list uh, Lamb, Jerry, Judy. I would also list – Henry Ruggs, and Justin Jefferson. Um, I'm a big Justin Jefferson apologist. Um, I think he was a big reason for Joe Burrow's success this year. I think that he translates really well to the NFL game, but Ayuk is definitely in that same category. Maybe a discussion for another day, but I will tell you that Justin Jefferson, as of late, falling down my board a little bit. I'm a combine apologist, and – I think that the offseason doesn't nearly matter as much as people make it out to be. I think that what you do on the field is much more indicative of what translates to the next level. You talked about Curtis Weaver as a guy who produces, uh, and that's really what it boils down to at the NFL level. We can we can get really hyped about those guys who rock the combine like DK Metcalf, but at the end of the day, numbers I'll, don't I'll tell you, Justin Jefferson falling down on my board right now. I've, I've started watching – some 2018 LSU film where he was in a bit of a different role. And I'll tell you that he's, he's slipping up on my board a little bit after watching some more of that film back. All right. Fair enough. And I think that is a conversation for another day. Um, I'll give you two names right now, a little bit more obvious, but I think still noteworthy right now. One on each side of the ball. Ironically, it chose the same exact two positions that you chose to present to the uh, listeners at home. Uh, number one for me is a guy named uh, Chase Young. And I think that's a little bit, I mean, when it comes to water is wet, as far as uh, interesting draft picks, you know, that that's the guy. I mean, he is as obvious uh, a good prospect as you can find in this year's class and really any class in recent memory. Uh, For me, Chase Young, I think consensus number two pick right now. We got Joey Burrow going number one to Cincinnati. Uh, Seems inevitable at this point. And I think that Chase Young, is unanimously that number two selection off the board to the Washington Redskins. He is a guy who, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Mike, I, I don't recall as much hype around a prospect regarding Chase Young's hype in anybody since Jadavian Clowney came off the board in what I believe was 2014. And if you think back, Jadavian Clowney is a guy who, he by the end of his second year, he was the consensus number one pick in the NFL draft. That was a guy who did not have to play his junior season, and he would have gone number one overall. He chose to play his junior season. He went number one. 
And unfortunately in Houston, he was injury plagued his first few seasons and he really never reached that fullest potential that everyone had envisioned for Jadavian Clowney. However, I think he still has put together a nice career and it's going to be really interesting to see where he signs this off season. Chase Young, you talk about a guy who can do it all. I mean, six, five, he's listed at two sixty-five. He, he reminds me of Zion Williamson. He's got to be bigger than 265. This is a guy who looks 280. He's, he's just an immense human on the football field. I mean, he, he eats left tackles for breakfast. We love this guy coming off the edge. Uh, 16 and a half sacks in 2019, 10 and a half sacks the season before. Uh, we talk about how good Ohio State's offense was uh, with the likes of Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins. But Chase Young was the best player on that team, and it's not close. Uh, no disrespect to Mr. Fields or Mr. Dobbins. I just think that Chase Young, he's going to be something special. Uh, I think that my best NFL comparison for him, it, I don't know that there is one, honestly, in the current league today. Jadavian Clowney, if he lived up to his potential, is who I would go with. But really, with Chase Young, he's a guy who does all the little things that don't show up in the box score, but he's also going to put up gross numbers at the end of the day when it comes to sack and tackle totals as well as force fumbles and really game-breaking plays so he he's kind of he's kind of a clowny type he's kind of a jj watt type in that regard and i don't know if you feel free to agree or disagree with my assessment on mr chase young yeah i almost want to say he's a, a more productive miles garrett or i mean you know you compare him to the two bosas who uh were both at ohio state you know, Ohio State just putting out elite pass rushers every year nowadays, it seems like. Uh, but those two guys, and, you know, I think when you evaluate, you know, the likes of Miles Garrett, former number one pick, Bosa, uh, both of them, and Jadavion Clowney, I think Chase Young is the best of that bunch, which is remarkable because we're talking about four of the best pass rushers in the NFL and those four guys. But uh, Chase Young is, is a once-in-a-lifetime pass rusher, which – uh, I hate using that phrase because I think it's one of the most overused terms, that once-in-a-lifetime type of player, because we have a once-in-a-lifetime type player like every five years nowadays. But <laughs> Chase Young really is that that once-in-a-lifetime pass rusher. He's the best pass rusher that I've seen in my life that I've evaluated coming into a draft. And I could not agree more with you on that front. Uh, my name number two, another obvious name, another guy who should come off the board in the top 12 to 15 selections of this year's draft. Give me some C.D. Lamb. I really like C.D. Lamb. A lot of people, uh, myself included, have gone back and forth on the number one wide receiver prospect in this year's draft between C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. I think both are set for unbelievable NFL careers. But when you look at C.D. Lamb and what this guy can do after the catch, he's phenomenal. And I think he, I think a guy who in the NFL – doesn't get enough respect for the role he plays for his team is Julio Jones. And when I look at CD lamb, I see a younger version of Julio Jones. And as our Oklahoma sooner resident in the house, uh, Michael Rose, if you can uh, give me a little feedback on your boy, CD lamb, of course, it's going to be appreciated. Yeah. I mean, I'll just tell you this. Uh, you know, you talked about CD lamb after the, t- after the catch, in my time, I, I've watched football since 2007. I would say I've watched college football pretty regularly since 2010. Uh, CeeDee Lamb is the best wide receiver I have ever seen after the catch. Now, 
you could attribute some of it to the Big 12 defenses he's played, but there's been some really good receivers that have rolled through the Big 12 uh, in that time frame, and it, it just doesn't compare. The guy is, is – he just has, you know, a natural shift uh, in his game after the catch that you just you just can't teach that kind of ability, and he's not – you know, he's not going to be a combine warrior. You talked about those combine guys earlier. He, you know, he doesn't have a blazing 40. He doesn't have a crazy vertical catch. Uh, but he has just all of the skills you want in your wide receiver. He's a great route runner. He can go up and make make a play on the ball. Uh, you know, if you watch the combine this year, uh, when they had those, like, corner end zone throws that the receivers would go up and try to catch, I mean, he made, like, a remarkable one-hand catch uh, and got both feet in bounce. You know, he just, he just knows how to play the wide receiver position and uh, – uh, he has a lot of traits that you just cannot teach a guy coming into the NFL, and uh, he he's my number one receiver on my big board. Definitely a sensational prospect. Rumors in the last couple of days have surfaced about the Philadelphia Eagles being interested in trading up for C.D. Lamb uh, or one of the receivers in this year's class. Uh, we will see how true that is on draft night uh, coming up next Thursday, but I think that C.D. Lamb – He's as close to a can't-miss wide receiver as I've seen coming out in recent years. But we got to be moving on at this point. Michael, if I were to ask you to identify a singular team for whom this year's draft is the most important, give me one team who absolutely needs to crush this draft. Um, well, I'll give you, I'll give you the biased take and then the, the condensed non-biased take. Uh, so the bias take is, is my Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings offseason has been eventful. Uh, a lot of veteran names no longer on the team. Xavier Rhodes, Stephon Diggs, Linvel Joseph, all of those guys uh, leaving the Vikings this offseason. There's, there's a lot of needs to address on this Vikings team. And so uh, they have two first-round picks. Their first-round pick success rate in recent years has been bad, to just be quite blunt about it. They have been really, really poor at drafting in the first round recently. Shout out Laquan Treadwell. Laquan Treadwell right. in the house. So they they definitely need to uh, do do better in that area. And they, they've done great drafting in the later rounds and getting good players there. But they need to hit on these two first-round picks uh, because the Super Bowl window, you know, what's left of it at this point? You know, we're two years removed from them in the NFC Championship game with Case Keenum. Kirk Cousins, a clear upgrade over Keenum. They need to replenish that defense if they want to have a shot to make another run towards a, a potential Super Bowl. My condensed non-biased take, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, they trade their first-round pick this past year for Minka Fitzpatrick, so they just have their first pick will be pick 49 of the second round. And this draft is going to be really critical. It's going to tell us a lot about how the Steelers view their future these next couple of years with Ben Roethlisberger. How open is their Super Bowl window? You know, I've heard reports that they could go quarterback at pick 49. They could also go wide receiver and say, okay, we think we can win one more time with Ben. So uh, it's going to be a pretty critical draft to just see what direction the Steelers choose to take. Absolutely. And uh, I think that both of those teams are going to be very interesting case studies in the year 2020 as both of them have completely different future outlooks. And that is for radically different reasons. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers can absolutely be a Super Bowl contender if and this is if, because that's a team that, correct me if I'm wrong, they won eight games behind Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges in 2019, who are, not, who are not good NFL quarterbacks. So 
Mason uh, Rudolph is probably my second best quarterback prediction I've ever made. I called that guy uh, right out the gate not being a good NFL quarterback. As an Oklahoma fan, you watch a lot of Oklahoma State, and it was clear as day that that guy just wasn't it. But go ahead, continue. So the Pittsburgh Steelers have a lot of stake in this year's draft, and they need to hit on those picks. Obviously, you'll take Minka first Patrick, Minka Fitzpatrick, excuse me, in the first round any day of the week. Uh, but I will say that I will give you uh, a biased and an unbiased take as well. My biased take has to be the Buffalo Bills. And uh, people in Western New York might be circling the wagons just hearing them mentioned in this discussion. But the reality is the Buffalo Bills, if they nail this draft, which Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, you think about the guy, the job those guys have done since they arrived in the last couple of years, uh, bringing in guys like Ed Oliver, uh, the Josh Allen project, so far has been successful. Devin Singletary has been very good. I think I think that the Buffalo Bills are a Super Bowl contender if they get this draft right. You think about the continuity on that defense. Top five a year ago, they brought back Tredavious White, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Jerry Hughes, Ed Oliver, Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds, and they have the potential to add on to that in the draft if they hit on some guys. This is an incredibly deep draft class, so let's not act like the Bills' second and third round picks aren't going to matter. They're going to be good players on the board at those times. They're going to be good board players on the board in the fifth and sixth rounds this year. So for the Buffalo Bills, I think that if McDermott and Bean can nail the draft, I think that the Buffalo Bills are going to be a force to be reckoned with and at the bare minimum they are going to be hosting a home playoff game in 2020 if they hit on the draft and with the caveat that we have an NFL season. Uh, my unbiased take, I will stay in the AFC East, the Miami Dolphins. You think about the job that that team did uh, under Coach Flores uh, last year. They overachieved. That is not a roster that should have won five of their last nine games. Shouldn't have happened. Uh, they were atrocious. The talent wasn't there. Uh, God bless Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is one of the scrappiest players in the history of the NFL. But that was not a good football team. They completely gutted the roster, moving guys like Laramie Tunsil, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick for notable halls. They ditched Kenyon Drake. And by the way, all three of those guys were, I would say, wildly successful in their new homes. Kenyon Drake was an absolute hoss in Arizona, uh, overtaking David Johnson. Minka Fitzpatrick, I think he was the source of at least five or six turnovers for the Pittsburgh Steelers defense last year. Uh, and Laramie Tunsil was a key part of a much improved Houston Texans offensive line. So the, the Dolphins, they gutted that roster in the pursuit of draft picks, in the pursuit of a true rebuild. And I think that for that vision to come into being, it is going to be wildly important for them to hit on these draft picks. They have three in the first. Um, I believe they have six in the first three rounds. They have, they have to get it right. And I, I don't know what your uh, opinion is in juxtaposition on the Miami Dolphins. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, when you go into a, a tank as heavy as the Dolphins decided to go last year, and it was, it was really well done because Brian Flores is a great coach. And he managed to do something that is incredibly difficult. They built a culture in Miami last year while losing games still. 
which is not an easy task to do. And there's not many coaches in the NFL that could pull something like that off. So big props to him. But when you, when you commit to an effort like that, you have to hit on these draft picks. And, you know, when you have three first round picks like they do this year, you're going to need to, you're going to have to hit on at least two of them. You're going to need to get big time impact players on two of them and probably another starter with the third one. So, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's absolutely critical, not only that they, you know, have a good overall draft top to bottom, but they need to hit a home run on a couple of these picks as well. Absolutely. Could not agree more. As we have focused on so much throughout this first episode, uh, we need to talk about the quarterback position in this draft class. There are four names that have been coming up time and time again. They are Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa. I butchered that. Let's not talk about it. Justin Herbert and Jordan Love. I want you to rank these guys and give me a little bit of feedback on what you think about their prospective NFL careers. Number one on my board is Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, if the hip injury didn't happen, I think he's the clear-cut number one pick in the draft this year over Joe Burrow. Um, uh, two years of incredible production out of Tua against top-notch SEC defenses. Uh, the guy is as accurate as any quarterback that I've watched in recent memory. Uh, he has a really good arm. He has good mobility. Obviously, you know, it remains to be seen how he recovered from that hip, but it looks like most of the mobility is back from, you know, the height videos or whatever that we – get to evaluate at this point. Uh, so for me, that's my number one guy. Number two is Joe Burrow. Uh, I would say probably the greatest statistical output of any quarterback uh, in college football history this past year by Joe Burrow. Uh, he has great accuracy. I have some questions about uh, the arm strength a little bit. I don't think he has the best arm in the world, but I think he can make most of the throws that you want an NFL quarterback make consistently. Uh, my only other question mark about him is, going to Cincinnati, how successfully can be in an organization that is not exactly known for being the most functional because year one for him at LSU was okay. Year two at LSU when they were hyper-functional and had a great coaching staff was all-time great. So I think in a good situation, Burrow can be great. In a Bengals situation, I have some concerns. Uh, my number three quarterback is Jordan Love. Obviously, last year for Jordan Love was not good. Uh, and if you're going to evaluate Jordan Love, you're just better off watching the 2018 film at this point because the 2019 film is just a complete mess. Uh, but he had a lot of – he shows a lot of flashes. And, you know, after you get beyond Burrow, that's, that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about flashes because I don't think anyone after Burrow could step in and be a, a quality NFL starting quarterback today. Uh, but for me, Love has the most upside of the next group after those top two. So that's why I find him at my number three spot. My number four is Justin Herbert. For me, Herbert at Oregon always kind of played below expectations. And I think uh, a lot of times, you know, I would turn on Oregon and he just left something to be desired uh, oftentimes when he was out there. And in the biggest moments when you want your quarterback to rise to the occasion, I feel like often Justin Herbert shrunk. And in many of his most important games last year, you know, in some cases, Oregon won those games because they won a lot of games. And they had a really good team in Oregon last year, but Justin Herbert did not play his best football in the biggest moments. And I think that is definitely concerning when in the NFL, every week is your biggest moment. So how does that translate to the NFL for Herbert where, you know, you don't get to go play a bunch of lackluster Pac-12 teams week to week. You know, every week is a challenge in the NFL. Uh, is Herbert up for it? I, I have some serious concerns about it. And I 
I think your analysis all across the board there is spot on. I have the same exact ranking, uh, the hierarchy of guys that you just talked about. I have two at number one. I think that injuries, uh, I think when it comes to college and early on in your NFL career, injuries are more about luck than they are being truly injury prone. And we can talk about guys like Keenan Allen who had a lacerated kidney and a torn ACL. Those are bad luck injuries. Uh, But three years into his career, people were labeling this man as injury prone. And I just don't buy into that narrative. So with Tua, I think that the injury concern is a little bit overblown. Uh, I think that, you know, he, he does come with some risk, but I think that any quarterback being drafted at 22 years old comes with some risk. And uh, you want to chime in there? Yeah, just quickly, my one thing I do want to note about the injuries with Tua is if you watch Tua, he and I, I heard someone, I forgot who it was, but someone compared it to Sam Bradford the other day. With when he gets hit, he kind of goes into like a statue almost. And he doesn't take hits well. And I think that is a concern with the injuries because the injuries that he suffered are definitely tough luck injuries, but his, the way he takes hits. I think is concerning for potential reoccurring injuries moving forward. However, he's still my number one quarterback. That That's absolutely a valid argument. I think that, you know, uh, that can be a concern. I think he's also a guy who extends plays. And I think his injury risk is increased whenever he tries to make something happen when it's not there. I think Nick Saban, he commented the other day that, uh, you know, we want to end every drive with a, with a kick, you know, whether it's a, a punt, field goal or an extra point we don't want to end drives with our quarterback being injured and taken off the field on a play where he got sacked fumbled and uh got hurt on the play so for Tua, i think it's going to be a learning curve of when to throw the ball away more than more than anything else so i have him at one i have joe burrow at number two which kind of is disrespectful given the 2019 season he had but Tua Tagovailoa for me is just that good. And for me, number three is Jordan Love, and number four is Justin Herbert. I don't get the the Herbert hype. I just don't think that there's anybody in this class better to rank above him at number four. I think I saw a stat that Herbert on passes 10 to 18 yards down the field, nine, almost 19% of his balls were uncatchable last year, which is alarming. So we're talking about a guy, Justin Herbert, who coming out, was as inaccurate as Josh Allen without the elite athletic upside of a Josh Allen. So where does he actually fit in the NFL? I think that some team is going to draft Justin Herbert in the top 10, and I'm going to mock him in the top 10. And I think it's going to be an absolute travesty when he goes in the top 10 over a guy like Jordan Love who I think the upside, the intangibles, the physical, the arm strength of Jordan Love being able to fit the ball into certain windows. You talked about Jordan Love's 2018 film. Everybody should go watch it because 2019 was a certifiable disaster for that man. But 2018, he showed the arm strength needed to compete in the NFL level uh, in 2020. Again, beyond the top two, I don't see any day one starters. But if you're rolling the dice on a guy third uh, that you're going to draft in that first round as far as the quarterback position, give me Jordan Love over Justin Herbert because I think Justin Herbert, being a first-round pick, he just he reminds me of E.J. Manuel. I, I think I also, that, I do want to just chime in uh, about that stat that you had on Justin Herbert. I will tell you, Jordan Love on those same plays 
he had 16%, I believe, his balls were uncatchable. And just as a comparison, Josh Allen's numbers were 13%. So they're both coming in really far less accurate than Josh Allen at this point, which, I mean, we're talking about a guy in Josh Allen who was pretty much run over the coals for being inaccurate, and these two guys were statistically worse. So uh, that's definitely a huge concern. I do just want to say, just talking about these these four quarterbacks, for me, I'm not huge on any of the four of them. I think there's a lot of red flags across the board with the four of them. And I, uh, you know, a lot of people have labeled Joe Burrow, obviously he's going to go number one overall. And there's a lot of hype surrounding him. A lot of people really like Tua. Um, but I think this is, it, it, I think this is a really average quarterback class. If I'm just going to be quite frank. And obviously, like you said, you know, three guys are probably going to go in the top six picks at quarterback because of just the necessity of the position. But I think uh, in terms of the value these guys are going to return, uh, I think you're probably going to end up looking back and saying that all of these guys were overdrafted. And, and the potential is definitely there for that to be the case. For me, you know, these guys just coming out of college, we don't know what the future holds in the NFL. We, we, aren't, we aren't able to accurately predict what the next decade is going to encapsulate. However, if you were asking me right now who would have the best NFL careers out of these four, for my money, the, the two I'm taking are Tua and Jordan Love because I think that Joe Burrow is going to be put into a miserable situation in Cincinnati and that is not disrespectful to A.J. Green or to Tyler Boyd or to Joe Mixon. Some of the talent they have there definitely exists and he will have weapons. It is more a testament to the dysfunction of that organization and the unwillingness to put the right pieces into play to make a push for the championship. There were Cincinnati Bengals rosters in the past decade that could have won a championship, but did not because that organization refused to fire Marvin Lewis, who could not get them over the hump. So that is the kind of dysfunction that we talk about with the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't think the current situation is much better. And again, no disrespect to Joe Burrow, AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, or Joe Mixon. That is just the facts. I also think that the Bengals right now probably have the worst offensive line in football. And they're going to take Joe Burrow first overall, which means that they're not going to address their offensive line in the first round. So you're going to slap Joe Burrow a guy who has some mobility. He, he honestly is uh, underrated mobility-wise. He, he's much more mobile than he'll get credit for. But you're going to slap him behind arguably the worst offensive line in football. Uh, there's already a report that Joe Mixon might hold out for a, a contract. Uh, and so, I mean, like you said, it's just a mess all the time in Cincinnati, and that's not the situation I want to drop my rookie quarterback into. Like you were just talking about, if I had to pick a guy to have most successful NFL career, I would I would roll the dice on Tua. Uh, the injuries, like I said, are concerning, but uh, if I had to pick a guy who I think is going to be the most successful, he'd be the one. And it is definitely going to be interesting moving forward how these four guys develop uh, their skill sets and adjust to the speed of the NFL game. Again, I think all four are talented enough to have a wide range of outcomes, but it's going to depend on the teams that they land on, the management that gives them the best opportunity to succeed, as well as the skill position players that they're surrounded by when it comes to the NFL. One last thing about this year's draft class, as far as the quarterback position is concerned, Jake Fromm's name, is getting thrown around. And that's interesting to me. He's a guy who has been mentioned as a potential first round pick. 
what can you tell me about Jake Fromm? Well, uh, Curtis, and let me just, you know, preface the whole thing by saying, you know, I remember a conversation very early in the college football season, and you're not a guy who watches a ton of college football. I watch probably uh, more college football than you do. So early in the season, you weren't watching too much. And I was sitting, I was at work, and I had a Georgia game on, and I was sitting there, and I just texted you. I said, Curtis, just remember this conversation a couple months from now. Jake Fromm is an absolute disaster. Uh, Jake Fromm, you know, if you just look at raw numbers, you'd probably think he's okay. And I just want want to note that Georgia the last three years has had as talented a, a roster in college football as Alabama, as LSU, as Ohio State. You know, they're, they're loaded every year. And he plays behind one of the best offensive line in football and has some of the best running backs in the country every year of his college career. And he came in, he started right away as a freshman. He beat out Jacob Eason, who's another guy in this draft class at the quarterback position. And he had a nice season. And every year since then, he was given the opportunity to throw the ball more and more. And he produced less and less to the point where this past season, he had a career high in yards with 2,800 yards, which is only 200 more yards than he put up as a freshman, even though he threw the ball nearly 100 more times. His completion percentage was the lowest of his college career. And his interceptions, which is the only thing I can speak on that went down, his interceptions are down to five interceptions as opposed to the seven and six that he had the first couple of years. A lot of that is because he just he can't throw the ball down the field even if he wanted to because his arm strength is just atrocious. Uh, his quarterback rating, worst of his career, was this year as a junior. I honestly believe that Jake Fromm declared for the draft this year because if anyone came back and had to watch him play as a senior – he might have fallen all the way down to a, a fifth or sixth round pick in the NFL draft next year. Jake Fromm, at this point, if you just watch him play, he's not accurate, and he doesn't have a big arm. So I really don't know what traits you could watch in Jake Fromm's game and think, that guy is my first-round quarterback. Because, it's you know, you know guy, like a Jordan Love. Jordan Love we just talked about. Got a big arm, but he's not accurate. Uh, Joe Burrow I just talked about. He's super accurate, but he doesn't have a big arm. Jake Fromm has none of that. He, he has no traits I can point to besides the fact that he won a bunch. But if you put Jake Fromm, I mean, you know, because I do believe quarterbacks often are, you know, their development is very predicated on what situation they end up in. If you put Jake Fromm in a Cleveland Browns situation like Baker Mayfield was dropped into or a Cincinnati Bengals like the Joe Burrow is going to add to, or even the Miami Dolphins, who I think are being run pretty well right now, I think he would just fall apart. I think he would stand no chance. And I think if you're an NFL team evaluating Jake Fromm, first-round pick would be an absolute waste of, of a pick on Jake Fromm. A second-round pick would probably still be an absolute waste. A third-round pick I might be able to be talked into, but I think the only teams that could talk me into a third-round pick would have to be the likes of the New Orleans Saints or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now with Tom Brady or the Pittsburgh Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger because those guys have have proven quarterbacks that Jake Fromm can sit on a bench and maybe learn something from. But at the end of the day, Jake Fromm is not going to be someone's future at the quarterback position in the National Football League. Give me one team that you believe would commit a sin in drafting Jake Fromm in the first round. I could see Vegas doing something like that. He's totally a John Gruden type of guy. 
a Gruden grinder. He's absolutely Jake a John Gruden. From all righty, Mike is saying the Las Vegas Raiders. If one team is to draft Jake From in the first round, it's going to be Vegas. Um, I mean, if you're if you're rolling the dice, it's not a bad city to do it in. For me, I don't think this guy goes anywhere near the first round. I think God, I hope not. I, I for for the integrity of the NFL draft here and the virtual experience that we're about to encounter in 2020, I hope that Jake Fromm does not go in the first round because that will be stealing a first round, you know, draft selection to add on to the resume from another very deserving prospect. Um, I think a more useful, you know, a use of a first round pick was the Patriots. The flake gate was more useful, accurate useful first round pick than Jake Fromm would be. I mean, they cheated and they got the results. So worth a first round pick. Jake Fromm is not producing those same, same results for my liking. Jake Jake from third round range at best, probably more of a fourth or a fifth round talent. I'm definitely taking a guy like Jalen Hurts ahead of Jake Fromm in this class. But I think this might be a little bit uh, unfounded. I think that a team that could reach for Jake Fromm in the first round, and this is all speculation, but Jacksonville. I think that, you know, Jacksonville over the years has been plenty dysfunctional I think they gave Nick Foles a huge contract they were lucky to get out of it I think that they I don't know how sold they are in Gardner Minshew so if you are the Jacksonville Jaguars you might be looking at you know the opportunity to bring in a guy who excites you I don't think they're doing that in the top 10 where they have their first draft selection however I think that they might trade back into the first round to take a guy like Fromm late as we've seen before with the likes of other poor quarterbacks like Paxton Lynch, uh, like Tim Tebow. So for both of which were drafted by the Broncos, by the way, who are also not good at selecting quarterbacks in the NFL draft. But John Jake, Elway really likes tall guys with big arms. Correct. Uh, but give me Jake Fromm in the late rounds. I think he'll end up... Uh, I'm surprised the Broncos don't want Justin Herbert by the way, just speaking of that, if Drew Locke was not good at the end of last season, the Broncos would be all over Justin Herbert. Absolutely. Him or Jordan Love. For Jake Fromm, uh, my prediction, give me the Green Bay Packers as a landing spot for Jake Fromm. I love that as a like. Uh, uh, but he's he's absolutely not going to play behind Aaron Rodgers. But moving forward, I think that wraps up our NFL draft talks. For episode one, we are definitely excited. We will be bringing you some NFL draft recap for our second episode, which should be popping out next week. We're definitely excited to continue this for you guys uh, listening at home. I think that now is a good time to shamelessly plug our social media. If you have not already at guys like sports underscore on Twitter is our handle and at guys like sports that's the whole thing on Instagram. We are looking to start that social media following. We are encouraging you to follow our accounts. If you have not done so already, we will be posting there on the daily and we are super excited to be bringing you more and more episodes of guys like sports as we weather the storm through coronavirus. Uh, any parting words, Mike Rose, big trust. Love the shout-out to Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram. That's going to do it for us this evening. Thank you all so much for listening. 
For my co-host, Mike Rose, I'm Curtis Henry, reminding you to stay home, to stay safe, and to stop the spread as we continue navigating COVID-19. We'll be back next week with some new content for y'all. Until then, we're out.